Revelation, chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God, and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, and to him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so. Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. We come today to a new book. We've looked at some of John's writings, his epistles. And we start upon this study on the book of the Revelation. I don't suppose we'll get very far in it this week. Probably we need to just speak in general about um, the book, about prophecy, because the Revelation is a book of prophecy. It says quite distinctly in verse 3, Blessed is he that reads, and they would share the words of the prophecy. So we have a prophetic book, things which must shortly uh, take place. As with all prophecy, what we are dealing with is not something that we might make a prophet. Might, today we might make a prediction about the weather, and we'll say, well, the weather in the next few days will be this or that. But what we have here in the scriptures, the prophecy, it must take place. It's certain. With prophetic scriptures, these are certainties. The fact that they are as yet future doesn't make them any less certain. They must take place. And shortly, the time is at hand when these things will, will be. That brings us to another aspect of prophecy. Whatever prophetic um, predictions we have, there's always a long-term view, but there's always a short-term view as well. And that brings in our response to it. It was the servant who said, my Lord delays his coming, who beat his fellow servants. Why? Because it was a long way off. But with prophecy <coughs> in scripture, there is always a near uh, view by way of bringing the application to us that, although it's future, it must have a present aspect for us. We must have a response to it. We can ask, well, what is the um, purpose of this book? Well, it brings before us the coming of the Lord. Three times in these um, the first eight verses, we have the Lord's coming. Verses four and eight. 
we have the Lord described as he who is and who was and who is to come. And verse 7, behold, he comes. So we are dealing with the coming of the Lord. And when we come to the last chapter again, <clears throat> three times the Lord is recorded saying, I come quickly. And then the application to us. Um, is, uh, we say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. So this is the purpose. The Lord's coming is presented. And the, the whole point of this revelation is that we. Um, it's not given so that we might know the future in an intellectual way but that it might go to our hearts as well as our heads, that we be intelligent as to what is going to happen on the earth, but it enters our hearts and we, um, the spirit works in them so that we will pray for the Lord's coming. We have this desire raised in us to, for, the, for the Lord to come, to be glorified here upon earth. So that we might say is the, the purpose. Um, we know the book is divided into three different sections. We'll get that in verse 19. Write therefore what thou hast seen, that's the past, the things that are present, and the things that are about to be after these, that's the future. So we have past, present, and future that John was to write, the past, chapter one, the vision, the character of the Lord as, um, not as, um, as John would know him, the disciple whom Jesus loved, this one was walking here upon earth in lowly, humble service, but as we will see when we come to these verses, as a judge, as the Ancient of Days, as in Daniel. The things that are, that's chapters two and three, the present church age, but again, the church in Revelation we don't come to the revelation to look for church truth. Rather, well, again, when we'll see it, um, the church here, are, are the aspect of the church are these golden lampstands, golden candlesticks or lamps, that which bears light, is testimony, is responsibility that we have here as light bearers in the world. And then after these things, chapter four to the end of the book, future events. So, again, we can subdivide these further, but these are the three main divisions of the book. Um, and unless we understand this division, we will get hopelessly lost. If we seek to look for the church beyond chapter three, um, then we'd be totally confused. We have to understand this dispensational um, truth and to see that the things that are, that is present, that's the seven assemblies viewed in responsibility. And the things that are about to be after these things, that is when God takes up again his earthly people. And the remainder of the book deals with things on earth. Prophecy in general deals with matters on earth. Um, the assembly doesn't really have any place in prophecy, although we do have these seven churches that look as a prophetic outline of the assembly from the days in which John wrote Ephesus, the days um, just at the end of the apostolic era, um, running right the way down to the end, to the last four that run 
to the time of the Lord's coming. So again, it's difficult to know where to stop an introduction because there's so many things we need to um, to look at, but perhaps without saying too much more, that's uh, a way perhaps we can get into this book and to just discuss some of the principles involved in prophecy, the study of prophecy, what, how we need to look at these things, because we don't need to, we, um, we shouldn't look for um, too much, lit, too many literal things in this book, because again, verse one, um, Jesus Christ signified it. That is, these things are in signs. Um, so when we are looking at it, we have to understand it's a symbolic book as all prophecy is. Um, and again, that's something else we need to um, to discuss. Um, and one final word, perhaps we can't enter into these things in an intelligent way unless we are functioning as obedient servants or bondmen. Because twice in this first verse, the revelation is given, um, it's Jesus, the revelation of Jesus Christ, given to him of God to show to his bondmen. So unless we are um, in the good of this, of, of being servants, um, we're not going to enter into these things. And again, the end of the verse, he signified it, sending it by his angel. And we'll notice as we go through this book, um, the number of references to angels. I did do a quick search and there are 59 references to angels in this book, excluding the angels of the seven churches. So it's God dealing via angels with this world and is to his bondman, John. So John was able to enter into these things because he was not now the disciple whom Jesus loved, not now the one who leant upon the Lord's breast at supper, the one who's going out to make that um, offering of himself on the cross, but he comes as a judge. And we'll see John um, fell down as, as dead before the Lord when he saw this um, this vision of the Lord. So the character of the Lord is quite different. John is a bondman. Um, so again, perhaps we need to open it up now for others to um, give their thoughts about the general bearing of this book. When, when we look at the book of Daniel and we're given the uh, 70 weeks of prophecy recorded in Daniel and other prophecies, when we come to chapter 12, just 12, Yes, verse, the last verse of uh, Daniel. But go thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of his days. And the first verse, um, chapter 12. And that's... Um, I can't find the verse. It's, it's but sealing up the prophecy. Um, 
Oh, yes, verse 9. And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed to the time of the end. Now, that was Daniel's prophecy, which was sealed. But here in the Revelation, we're given the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as Andrew mentioned, there's a blessing given for those who read it. And as Andrew mentioned again, to keep it. So how can we keep a vision, which is future? And I think Andrew touched on the point that we are bondmen. And if we recognize ourselves as bondmen and see that this is a revelation which God gave to the Lord, and we see the Lord in revelation, we have to remember that we are bondmen and maintain that place of bondmen as we live this life for the Lord. Just a few perhaps extra remarks in the beginning. The Lord is looked at in three positions, three main positions. We also get them as the the Lamb of God, which is, I suppose, an eternal position. But we have him as Son of Man, as I mentioned here, in relation to the church. We get the judge in relation to the Gentiles, and we get the king in relation to the Jews. But we we have to interlink these. Um, but we can look at this in like in the in the churches, Christ is judging the seven churches, but he's looked at as a son of man there. And then we get the judge in relation to the Gentile nations and the, the king in relation to Israel in this prophecy. And Andrews mentioned another point, I think, which is we need to bear. Um, when we read the book of Revelation, uh, it's the signs. Mr. Newbury, as in his margin, when it comes to signifying, he says, made known by signs or symbols. That's the meaning, apparently, of that word signified. As Andrew said, it's a book full of signs. They speak of literal events, but they're described with signs. And how do we know what these signs mean? Sometimes they're explained in the context, but other times they are not. So we have to have a grasp of all the scriptures to understand what the signs are speaking of. Um, just for one um, uh, illustration, um, in when it speaks of the Holy Spirit in verse 4, it doesn't say the one Holy Spirit which indwells us, it speaks of the same Spirit. Now, if we look at Isaiah 11. 
chapter 2. And the Spirit of the Lord was one to rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And if you come to the same characteristics there of the, the Holy Spirit. So if we look at Isaiah, if we, if we knew Isaiah chapter 11, we'd understand when it said seven spirits. So we have to apply all the scriptures to the symbols to find out the, the meaning of these symbols. The other part, um, perhaps we could add at the beginning, is that there are two natural divisions. Andrew's mentioned the three um, parts of uh, Revelation, the past, chapter one, the present, chapter two, and the rest of then is the, the future. But there's also one important um, division we have to look at, which roughly divides into two, and that is chapter 11, verse 18. Start from verse 17, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and washed and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations are angry, and, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, that thou shouldest give rewards unto the servants of the prophets and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shall destroy them which destroy the earth. So there we get to the millennial kingdom. And then from verse 19, which should really be linked with chapter 12, we get not a repeat of what's gone before, but we get extra things fitted in, which probably come under the seventh trumpet um, we get then um, greater insight into God's dealing with this earth so I think that that uh, is important to understand that chapter 18 uh, verse verse 18 of chapter 11 takes us to the millennial kingdom and then we've got um, a repeat of former times but not um, just a, a restatement of what's gone before, but filling in more details. And probably the historical parts of these, the rather the prophetic parts of these is um, under the seventh trumpet, probably. Um, I think that's probably the main things we need to keep in, um, in our minds as we look at the book. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave. And then it goes down to John, to us as bondmen. John's a bondman, we are a bondman. And that is the way we need to look at it. Paul was a bondman, John was a bondman. And we have to look at this from the fact that we are the Lord's bondmen. We've been saved and we are now bondmen to the Lord Jesus. And this revelation is given for all those who maintain that position of lowliness and therefore we can see 
the Lord glorified. And therefore, we can walk in the light of this. This is the practical aspect. As Andrew mentioned, the coming of the Lord is something which is brought before us many times in Revelation. So I think uh, that would really um, uh, add to it. I think we need to look at the that division as well, which roughly divides into half. So you have to bear that in mind. But the main um, division of the book is obviously, as I mentioned, um, we get it in the text itself, the past, the present, and the future. And from chapter four, um, it's all future. Perhaps just one um, thought. The first half of Revelation, we're looking at heaven. When we get to chapter four, door opened in heaven, and verse two said, and one sat on the throne. Well, when we get to that um, verse, which we mentioned halfway through in chapter 11, from there on, we get the altar mentioned. And we can speak more of these, obviously, as we, we get to it. Um, The temple in heaven and the temple of God was opened in heaven, the temple, sorry, so that we get the um, the altar, the throne rather, in um, chapter four, and then we get the uh, temple from verse 12 of, uh, of chapter 12. So there's that, that, that would divide it again into these two parts, one looking at it from the throne, one looking from the temple, one the secular part, one the spiritual part, the heavenly part. We're not, not all getting a bit confused, but there's an awful lot really to fit into an introduction on the, such a big book. Um, one point we can make of these symbols, um, these signs, it does seem to be something um, that characterizes John's writings because in his gospel, we don't have miracles, but they're all signs. They symbolize something. Um, but in the Revelation, um, when we have all these signs, it is um, incumbent on us to know the Old Testament prophetic scriptures because, as we've mentioned, um, where there are things um, that have already been spoken of, the Spirit doesn't explain. But we do get um, some new symbols mentioned, and where a new symbol is mentioned, it is immediately explained. And we, can, we don't need to look any further than this very chapter. Because having seen the vision um, of the Lord carrying these seven stars in his right hand and seven golden lampstands that he's walking among, verse 20 explains it. The mystery of the seven stars and the seven golden lampstands. So where there is a new symbol, the spirit immediately explains what it means. But if there is no explanation, then we have to 
uh, get our concordances out and we have to search back for where these symbols are used previously to go back to read to understand and to make the links between um, what God had already revealed in the Old Testament times and now what he was revealing in New Testament times. So then we uh, get the full understanding. So these symbols, although we might be confused when we see so many different symbols and we say, what does this mean? Um, the key is in the scriptures. Um, where there is a new symbol, God explains it. Where there is not a, uh, on a, uh, a new symbol used, well, then we have to do a bit of searching ourselves. So we don't need to um, give up when we have these many uh, signs and we say, well, what does this mean? Um, they are explained for us in the word of God. Um, that's not to say we don't need to pray over them as well to make sure we understand them properly, because these are, after all, um, spiritual truths. And we can only understand spiritual truths with the help of the Holy Spirit, with God's help. Another aspect of Revelation as we look at it, and apparently, um, I think the word says it, it's a revelation or the revelation. It's not many revelations. There might be different visions, but it's one revelation. Um, is to compare it with Genesis, because in Genesis, where we get the start of things, in Revelation, then we get the end of things. Um, for instance, you get the um, the creation mentioned first of all in Genesis. In Revelation, we see this whole world, the whole world itself, being reformed, being judged, cast away, and a new heavens and a new earth. Um, there are many other things you find um, in Genesis, which perhaps as we go through, we could try and link up, um, but you, you find the um, earthly marriage of Adam and Eve, and then you get the heavenly marriage of the, the bride in uh, the end of Revelation. So you get all these things which are linked up. Um, it's a book which, um, when you think of the age difference between when Genesis was written by Moses and when John wrote Revelation and how things were brought about in the ways of God, how people can not accept the Bible is divinely written is beyond me. But all the, and then all the other parts, they wrote at all different times different people, different, um, all the different positions in this world, um, from Luke, who was a doctor, to uh, some of these other farmers and fishermen. And when you think of how it all dovetails together, it should bring forth that 
praise and worship in our hearts when we see it, when we see it. And how unbelievers don't see this, I suppose, because it's not given them to see. But we can fit all revelation. It sort of sums up all the ways of God. Genesis would start and start them all off from the from the creation, and revelation ends all these things. So it shouldn't surprise us if we can find things which are begun in Genesis and perhaps a few, few, few books and let's see the ending of them in Revelation. Because God is outside time. Andrew mentioned about uh, the certainty of prophecy. Because God knows the beginning from the end. God is outside time. So God knows to us his future, but to God, he's just writing like we would write a past account of things to God who is easy to now. It's, it's not a matter of past, present and future. It's these certainties. And we get, as he said at the beginning, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the um, shining forth of Christ. And if we keep that, that's probably the most important thing we keep in mind. Um, actually, the if, if we look at the title in our Bibles in the authorized version, it says the revelation of Saint John the Divine. It's not, but the title is in the first verse, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it shouldn't surprise if we see all the um, summary and ending up of all that we see in God's dealings with man, and we, and this is why probably we need to have this understanding of all the scriptures to fit in the understanding of um, Revelation. Um, fortunately for us in this time, there have been many great scholars in the last few centuries who've uh, um, studied this and have helped us in many ways. So um, we should get a lot of help from their writings but it should, we should be able to fit these things in. And perhaps as we go through the revelation, we'd be able to mention where things start and this would then would be the end of these things. So um, I think there's a lot of spiritual searching to go on in our own hearts and our studies as we look at these, that this book, it's uh, the only book in scripture which, um, gives a blessing for reading it. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. So we see that there's a blessing given for studying Revelation, for listening to the word, these signs and symbols which would direct us towards um, understanding and then keeping. And as Andrew mentioned, particularly the coming of the Lord, it ends with even so come Lord Jesus. So that we should keep these things in mind. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, how he has been set over all this world, how he is the one appointed to judge this world. And that then should help us when we go through difficult times, when we um, 
come against opposition. As John was here, John said he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He was on his own. He was he was sent there as a punishment to Patmos. And yet he had this wonderful revelation of the Lord. So even if we are on our own, as we are or can be in this um, this pandemic now, we can have these blessings. We can read these this vision which John had, this prophecy concerning Christ, and it can strengthen us in our position, so that. Um, there's a lot to understand, and perhaps um, we won't get into hardly any of the depth of revelation, but at least we can um, look at these things and stimulate us to look further for ourselves into the actual passages and the actual um, understanding of revelation. And I suppose the other thing we need is not to be too um dogmatic um in our understanding um there are difficult passages in revelation but uh um there are keys and symbols as we see to help us to understand these things and um i'm sure it will be a, a blessing as we study the book together I suppose there are a lot of numbers as well in Revelation. There's number seven particularly. We get that in the seven spirits and the seven churches straight away. And there's number 12. I've just mentioned all these angels. You get three angels, two angels, one angel, different um, numbers, which perhaps gives another way of um, understanding many passages. So there are many things to look at, and perhaps you can remind each other as we go through the um, to look into these things, if not perhaps together, at least um, in our own studies, if we not to um, not to get too bogged down in any one passage, which can be a danger, I suppose, when we go through a, a book as difficult as. Uh, Revelation. Are we going to say something, Johannes? Isn't it a great miracle that God wants to tell us, wants to show us what he will do within the next time? When we read the first verse, that we mentioned the revelation of Jesus Christ. Quinn mentioned it at, uh, a couple of minutes ago. And then there's written to shew unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. <clears throat> if we think about the revelation, we have some big issues in this book. At first, we have fears and pain which will come to pass 
will, will come to pass on this earth where we might be frightened about if we would have it for our own. But on the other hand, we will see him in his glory and his mightiness. And this would be an aspect where we can worship him, where we can adore him. So God wants us to show what he will do. He has ever done it till now. He showed us his plans, his plan to save us, to have a plan which was that he came down onto earth to glorify thy God and Father, to save us and to bring us in the eternal light to his own, to be next to him, to be with him. And when we will take a look at this book of Revelation, we should have it in our hearts that we are, on the one hand, thankful well, that we will be next to him, that we will see him in his glory, that we will take part with him, take part what he is for us, but that we, on the other hand, will also have a look what will happen upon this earth. And I was reminded on this verse in Matthew chapter 13, verse 43. Then shall the writers, sorry, uh, 42, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the writers shine forth as the sun and the kingdom of their father, who has ears to hear, let him hear. It shows us also the future of this world. And so might it be also in our hearts, if we will have some thought, of, thought about it, that we will go into this world and to show the people what will happen if they will, won't turn to the, to the Savior. And if we will have a look at this book of Revelation. So we have, on, as I mentioned, on the one hand, the glory of our Lord Jesus, of God. And on the other hand, we have pain for the earth. We have symbols which will Adore, make, make us adoring, giving praise. But on the other hand, we have also symbols in the seven churches where we have to look upon ourselves. We have to say, what is a lack in my own life? What shall we do to please the Lord? I'm glad you mentioned the, the link we have between prophecy and worship. We, we see it at the very start here. Um, again, we'll have to probably go through these verses one by one, perhaps next week. But in verse four, we have the introduction, John writing the seven churches. And at the end of that, um, we have this doxology, the end of verse five and verse six. Um, to him be the glory and the might the ages of ages. Amen. So the study of prophecy leads to worship. And one result of us studying this book should be that we will worship uh, God, we'll worship the Lord, because that's that's one of the 
the purposes, I think. John had this revelation um, and before he even gets into explaining the vision, he's going to write the things that he had seen, the things which are, and the things which should be after these things. But before he even starts that, he worships. And we get to chapter four and five, we probably have the, if someone would say to us, um, well, let's study worship. Where would we start? I think we would go to Revelation, wouldn't we? Chapters four and five. So in this book of prophecy, we have the most detailed aspect, I suspect, of worship. So prof study of prophecy will lead to worship, and that's, that's um, on our part. That's a very important thing. As we go through it, we should um, it should have this effect upon us, not only that we should um, join with the, the spirit in um, this desire, even so come Lord Jesus, that the spirits work in us as a result of this book, that we will long for the Lord to come and for these things to take place. So he will be glorified on the earth um, because then that will lead to him being worshipped. Um, so while we're in the verse four, one minor thing we can say as well, John is writing to the seven assemblies. That is, John is writing to um, Christians. But the book, generally speaking, um, doesn't have much to do with the assembly, with Christians. From after verse three, he is mainly dealing um, with conditions on earth, with his earthly people. Um, just because the book, generally speaking, isn't about us, that doesn't mean that it's not of interest to us. Because all scripture speaks of Christ. And even if it's Christ in relation to his earthly people, well, that is still a matter for us to study because we learn of the Lord. So we shouldn't be put off and say, well, uh, I would rather read um, some of the Gospels. I want to learn about the Lord because they are, the Lord is there in person. Or I might want to read some of the epistles because there I see it's about us. It's about Christians. Well, this book may not necessarily be about um, the assembly, but nevertheless, it's still about Christ. And all scripture is about Christ. So just because it's not about us, but about Israel, that is still a matter for us to study um, this book. It's still a matter of us um, doing so, coming to worship when we see how faithful God is acting toward Israel, for example. Um, but yes, it's a very good point to be reminded that the study of prophecy will lead, or should lead to worship. And that should be affecting our lives as studying this book. Following on that thought, we get the um, chapter four, the church has been taken into heaven, the doors opened in heaven. And we see there for the rest of the book of Revelation, the assembly is in the heavens with Christ. When we look at Ephesians, we have the practical working out of that. Even today, you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. 
So we see that although when we look at the a book like Revelation, which um, is basically prophecy, we tend to look at the um, chapters two and three, uh, which we got, which are for us and we can apply to us because these seven assemblages are representative of the whole history of the professing church as it is as a light bearer in this world. And we can see how it ends in failure. But when we get to chapter four, we see that the, the true saints are taken out of this world with Christ. And then we can look back at Ephesians. We can look at, we can read Ephesians even today. And we see there, that's where our blessings are. It's not on this earth. It's heavenly. And that is another practical way of um, applying the book of Revelation. The church is a heavenly thing. That's why we get all these judgments on the earth from chapter four on. But we are heavenly. We, we don't come into this. We are caught out of this. Because our position is in the heavenlies in Christ. Even when you get to the millennial kingdom, we with Christ reign over the earth. So we see there emphasized to us that the church is a heavenly thing. And when we read chapters two and three particularly, we see how it's settled down to this earth. And in the end, Christ had to spew it out of his mouth. We see there, we come to um, Babylon later on. Um, we see what happens to the, um, uh, the assembly as it is in an outward form where not only is there the true believers, but the profession, the shell that's left after the believers are taken up at the rapture. So there, so we, there are many practical things we can apply even all the way through the, the revelation. And it's interesting as we go through to be able to try and apply these things uh, even to ourselves from a, a practical point of view rather, because as we know from chapter four on, is we'll be in heaven. So all these things happening on the earth, we're not involved in only as spectators. Just to come back to something else that was mentioned a little earlier about God uh, revealing um, the future in this way. Um, who else could reveal the future to us but someone who is uh, outside of time? We get this um, description in verses 4 and 8 we've mentioned already. He who is and who was and who is to come. He is present. He was past. He is to come future. Here is somebody who is outside of time. Who else could reveal the future save somebody who is outside of time? No one else is competent to do this. This is um, this is why we can have such certainty as to what will happen. If it was just John who was writing this, we say, well, John could could make a mistake. He's a man. But no, here we have uh, the revelation not of John, 
but it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. And therefore, it must shortly take place. There's a certainty about it, because it's not John's revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, and we, we get this backed up with this expression. So it's very good as we go through any book of the Bible, really, um, to underline in our Bible these names and titles of the Lord. And as we do so, we learn the character of the book. Um, we'll see it later on in this chapter, which is, this is why we have a description. Um, when we have the things which John had seen, what had he seen? Um, had he seen anything on earth? Had he seen any? What had he seen? Had he seen the future? No. All he had seen was the Lord. Right, what he had seen. He'd seen, seen the Lord. The presentation of the Lord is given. The character of the Lord. And that then gives character to the whole book. So that, that is why it's so important um, in any book. But it's clearly seen here in the Revelation. How the character of the Lord um, gives us a key to understand the bearing of the book. How we are to view the book. Um, and the Lord is seen clearly as um, someone with divine authority to, to judge. And we will, don't need to go through the details now. We'll see that as we come to it. Um, but just to come back to what we said here, we have these expressions of God that are very worthwhile. Let's take an account of. God um, is outside of time. Therefore, he can perfectly reveal what will take place. He can record what has happened in the past, as he did with Genesis, the account of creation who else could do that but somebody who was outside of time who was there who else can write the present and the future all three only somebody who's outside of time and therefore it's it is very important for us if we if we do have an authorized the revelation of john the divine perhaps we ought to cross out the latter bit um, and stick with what scripture says the revelation of jesus christ Just one point, perhaps, about John himself. When we read the first epistle of John, as we've been looking at recently, he says, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He said earlier, that which is from the beginning, that which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, and we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. So when he wrote the epistle of John, that was uppermost in his mind. But here he's writing as a bondman, and he's writing to us as bondmen. And we might say, well, why does the Lord leave us here after we are saved? Well, I think it, if we go back to the first epistle of John, we see why. We can have that experience. John, a very privileged, he was the one who leaned on the Lord's breast. He had that intimacy, that 
fellowship with him. But that's not true in Revelation now. We don't see that. We see the Lord as the Lamb slain. And we worship. Worthy is a Lamb that was slain. But he had those feelings and those experiences which he couldn't have in the book of Revelation. And as we live this life here, what a privilege we have to be able to experience the Lord in this way, in a way which fits in with ourselves in our lives here. The, the care, the love, the guidance, the fellowship we can have with the Lord Jesus and with the Father, as he says, but this is the fellowship. So when we live our lives now, we have something we won't have in eternity because there we are perfected. We are made like unto the Lord Jesus. But in all our failures, in all our trials and all our temptations, we have the Lord. We have this fellowship, one with the Lord and with the Father. What a privilege even now we have. And we won't have that at this time. We're looking at from chapter four on, but we can have it now. And I think that we should apply all these things in that sense, that we can know the Lord in all our experience of life. The sorrow, the heartbreak, as well as the joys. But in heaven, we'd be made like unto the Lord Jesus. So we can go through these experiences of life now with the Lord, as John did in First John. But when we look at Revelation, we look at it in a different aspect. He's a bondman. And we're all bondmen in that sense. And we're all here as lights in this world. But we also have that privilege which he wrote in, in John, in his epistles, that we have these experiences with the Lord now we can have, even now, in our failures, in these conditions which our weakness, we can have these experience that we have with the Lord. And it's only now we can have these things. So it's, uh, we were all made perfect eventually. The Lord will come and we should be made like unto him. But even now, as Andrew mentioned, worship, we can come to the Father, we can worship. Even in the conditions of our failure, our weakness, we can have these uh, experiences even in this life blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens even though we're now on earth yet when we look at revelation we are made perfect there we are like the lord there that's the pinnacle we shall reach but now we should perhaps take those experiences thinking about them and that fellowship we have with the Father and with the Son, we can have it in our failures, in our weaknesses, even now. And I think it's, uh, it's an important practical lesson we can learn when we look at something like Revelation, 
where from chapter four on, we are made perfect. So perhaps chapter two and three then will be made uh, even more real to us as we look at assembly conditions. Perhaps just one last um, thought I, um, I should have mentioned earlier. Um, John is writing here as a as an eyewitness. Um, we'll get that when we, we see verse two. He testified um, all things that he saw. Um, if, again, I don't know if people like me, I, I like to read when I read through a book, so I've tried to read through Revelation. You get certain words that keep being repeated and you take account of them and you search them out. Um, I saw 46 times in the book. It could just say uh, this happened and this happened. We said, no, I saw this happened. Then I saw this happen. I saw this aspect of it. Um, he's an eyewitness. Same, um, I heard 33 times. Um, but also, just going back again to what Johanna said, we get the word come 67 times. Come and see this. Come view this. God is not, um, John was invited to see this. And John is passing on to us and we are invited to see this. God would say to us, come, come and see this. Come and consider this. Um, not, obviously not all comes are in that aspect. You might get the, even so come Lord Jesus, the Lord coming. But time and again, John is bidden to come and see something. And then he says, I saw it. And here he bears witness of it. And God wants us to come and view these things. And he wants us to hear um, what is said. Again, voice 53 times. I heard this voice. This voice said, he's an eyewitness of these things. He heard them. Um, and, you know, if we have, uh, say, a, a court case, a trial, how much value will the jury put on eyewitnesses? If you've got people there saying, well, I, I think this happened or that, I'm sure the defence counsel will be very quick to say, well, how do you know that? Um, were you there? Did you see these things? Did you hear these things? Well, you're the one who saw it. You heard it. But only that the wonderful thing is that God bid him to come and he was invited to see these things, invited to hear them. And so are we. I'm sure other people will be able to help me as we go through and come up with other, mention other words that occur many times that also give us some idea of what um, this book is about, but those are few that occurred that I noticed. I saw, I heard um, this voice, um, and so on. So we we are we a bit to come. So as we go through this book, let us um, take account of what God wants to show us. We are bidden to see it. Um, we have John's testimony, and we can believe his testimony. Um, and we also can enter into these things just as John did. And to, um, because we're not going to get to this point of being worshippers unless we do accept these things. So let's hope that we go through this um, with this in view to become worshippers. <laughs>